This is recording number 10801 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the second message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 1st, 2009. This message is titled, Pentecost. The Book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, and then Acts. And in case you weren't with us last week when I introduced this, we are, um, we began last week uh, a new series of teaching um, out of the Book of Acts. We're going to my, it's my intention, anyway, Lord willing, to walk with you through this entire book. Now, we're gonna, not going to take it verse by verse exactly, but we're going to um, try to capture uh, at least some sense of the whole movement or arc of development uh, that transpires in the book of Acts. And without repeating everything we did last week, let me just um, remind you, and for those of you who are uh, this is your, uh, you weren't here last week. The book of Acts was written by a physician, a medical doctor named Luke. And uh, he approached, uh, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. There, there are two volumes, you know, part one, part two. The Gospel of Luke talks about uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts describes the birth and um, early uh, stages of the development of the church. So the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, the ministry of Christ's followers in the book of Acts. And he, he was writing uh, to a person named Theophilus, uh, who uh, we don't know exactly uh, who, you know, who he was or what he was. He appears to have been uh, a person of some prominence because Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. But it's also possible that he may just have been a, a, uh, an imaginary person, someone that Luke used as a, as a writing reference, somebody he was speaking to as he was recording these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't really matter so much, but I'm telling you all of this because I want you to see that when we make our way through the book of Acts, this man who... who um, has uh, who is a critical thinker, someone who is uh, not distracted by mythology, someone who is devoted to um, a scientific or intellectual approach to, to things, to life, is trying to record, in fact he says this of himself uh, as he's writing to Theophilus, he said, I want to give you, Theophilus, a, an orderly account of all of the things you've been hearing about. And I felt impressed for us to, to spend some time in the book of Acts because I just believe as we start this new year that the Lord is wanting to um, remind us as a congregation and as individuals of the raw, um, primitive, unadulterated uh, way that God wants for us to relate with him and him through us and to us. 
Um, we, as, as human beings, we easily uh, add to ourselves trappings that um, uh, make things more familiar or more comfortable for us, whatever. And church life is full of those things. And every once in a while, it's just really important for us to go back and look and see what was it like to be a believer when there weren't any precedents to follow just uh, doing our best to try to live out the assignment Jesus left us with to take the gospel to the whole world and make disciples of the nations. And that's what we're reading about when we, when we take a look here in the book of Acts. Last week we talked about the promise of the Father because the book opens with Jesus, um, a, re, a kind of a bridge um, segment that where, where uh, Luke refers to the end of Christ's life and ministry and uh, that's recorded at the end of, of his gospel. And, uh, but he wants us to see that everything that follows in the book of Acts is a, an outflow of these last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. And um, so we talked about the Holy Spirit because when Jesus was ascending into heaven, just prior to his ascension into heaven, he told his followers, he said, look, John, and you've all heard of John the Baptist, he baptized with water, but not many days from now, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, I'd like you to turn there. We have uh, a recording of Jesus, of a statement Jesus made. It's in red print in my red letter edition of the Bible here. That means that Jesus said it. It's a quote from him. And it serves as, as uh, Luke's outline for the whole book of Acts. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. There's a strategy here now. In Jerusalem, in Judea, which was the surrounding county, in Samaria, which was the county beyond that, and then to the ends of the earth. And so he's describing, like this, this image on the screen, he's describing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that has rippling effect. And uh, he, Jesus was telling his followers not many days from now, he said, first of all, he said, don't move, stay put. Because you are unprepared to do what I've called you to do until this happens. But it won't be long. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. And there will be, as a consequence of you being filled with the Holy Spirit. Much the same, he said, you remember when John was baptizing people? You saw me. Some of you saw me. I was baptized by John. He, he dunked me under the water. In much the same way, he said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the ramifications of that empowerment upon your life will be that the good news, the gospel, will extend to, to Jerusalem, not only here where you are right now, but out from that to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately the whole, whole world. And, and if you follow that through the book of Acts, you see that exact same thing happening, that exact thing happening. And I just feel like you and I, who are uh, people uh, also under that same assignment from God, need the same power. And it's interesting to me how many Christians um, struggle um, to live out this incredible calling that we have 
trying to do it in their own strength, by their own, um, by their own uh, wisdom, by their own skill, by their own enthusiasm. And that's all well and good. But dear one, we, if Jesus said to his disi- the disciples, Peter, James, and John, the rest of them, if he said to them, look, don't move until you receive power from the Holy Spirit, certainly that is true for us too. So last week we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to take a look at what is commonly uh, referred to as the day of Pentecost. I say commonly referred to um, because it was actually a a high holy day for the Jewish people, um, for the Hebrews, Pentecost. And it was on that at that uh, Hebrew celebration of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out on those first believers. And we want to take a look at that and find how that applies to you and me. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be always in a state of being rained on by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll just get this out of the way right from the outset so we don't have to uh, mess with it later on because it's going to come up. So I'm going to give you some warning now so you can get over it and just uh, hear what I have to say. I speak in tongues. And I I know that, you know, there are people who uh, these days, if you're a tongue-talking preacher man, you're kind of categorized as, you know, with snake handlers and that sort of stuff. I've never handled a snake in a snake in my life, and I never will. I've never swung from a chandelier. I've never uh, rolled down the aisle. Uh, I've never barked like a dog. I've never done any of those weird things that you hear about people, you know, who you know are tongue talkers. Um, but I speak in tongues, and it's a very precious thing to me. So um, now I, I said that because, like I said, I want you to get over it. Because I want to talk about that some today. It's not the focus of what we're talking about. But it is so closely tied. You're going to see today. It's so closely tied to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We cannot avoid it. So uh, we're going to go there today. All right? Let's begin reading at verse 1, chapter 2, book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Notice that it isn't a sound that is generated by anything in the material world. There's a sound that these people hear from heaven. And it sounded like Luke is trying to describe it. He's not saying that it was. He's saying that it was like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now the people who are there are the disciples and the other followers of Christ who made up that first cadre of men and women who were devoted to uh, fulfilling the, the commission of Jesus to take his gospel to the world. Then verse 3 says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. What that means is it looked like each of them was on fire. Luke is describing something very amazing. He said, It looked like there was fire on their heads. When it says tongues of fire, it just means flames of fire. So he's, he's describing something that 
<laughs> you know, would be hard for any of us to try to find words to wrap around. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's, let's continue. Verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's because... Uh, it was required for at least the men, if they couldn't bring their families, they were um, allowed to come alone. But uh, there were certain times when all of the men of Israel were, were required to be at Jerusalem for a celebration of, of some of different feasts, one of which was Pentecost. And so the, the city is filled with people who have come from all over the known world, Jewish people and proselytes who have come from all over the known world. It's, you know, it's, it's a, a, like a convention. They're all there. And they hear this ruckus in the upper room where the disciples are gathered. And it says that they, uh, verse 6 says, and when, they, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So these people are from other parts of the world. They speak, in addition to Hebrew, they speak the, the uh, language of, of the nation where they're coming from. And they hear this worship happening. We'll hear that described in a minute. They hear these people speaking uh, in the, all the various languages that are represented there. Verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these all who speak Galileans? How do they know how to speak all these other languages? These are simple... Uh, I mean, Galilee was kind of not your... Um, it was like on the other side of the tracks. You ever heard that expression? It, it, you know, th- this was not a, a preeminent city or, or region. And so they, they said, How do these country bumpkins know how to do this? Um, let's see. And how is it that we hear each in our own language, verse says, in which we were born, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygian, and, Pam- and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Mo- Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So there's a mighty rushing wind. It looks like these disciples have, they're on fire. And they start to speak the praises of God in lang- multiple languages. It's an amazing thing and it's drawing a lot of attention. And verse 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, Ah, oh, I know, they're just drunk. They're all full of new wine. That's what it says. But Peter, standing up, now, now get this. This is the same guy that not many days before, when confront, confronted by a servant girl in the courtyard of the high priest, saying, Oh, I saw you with Jesus. He cursed and said, I don't know the man. This same scaredy cat who denied Jesus three times now is the first to stand. Something's happened to this guy. He stands up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, it's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he reminds them 
That this is not something that comes out of the blue. This is something that God said would happen through his prophet Joel. Takes them back to the Old Testament scriptures that they all know. And he says, this is what, remember, this is what Joel said. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Peter goes on and preaches a whopper of a sermon. And <laughs> incredibly bold, he says to, to all these Jewish uh, people who are there, uh, he says, you know, basically says, you know, you guys crucified Jesus. This is the same guy, remember, who denied even knowing Jesus three times, days before something of an incredible boldness and courage and vitality has touched that man's life. And um, as a result of, of his sermon at the end of that passage, if you went on to read it, would, you'd see that thousands uh, became believers that day. Thousands. It says um, 3,000... Um, but uh, it's likely it's uh, just, that's a count of just the men only. We don't know how many there were exactly. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit's relationship to us. We've just read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of prophecy on the day of Pentecost at the early church. But let's talk about the Holy Spirit's relationship to us. First, the Holy Spirit is with us. He's at work in the world around us. Even when you didn't know the Lord, even when you didn't care anything about him, the Holy Spirit was still at work in the world. He's with us. When you came to the point where you crossed the boundary from doubt into faith and became a follower of Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwelt you. He is in us, indwelling us and bringing our spirits to life. He is the agent of salvation. When you... Um, you know, pray to prayer or whatever it is you did that acknowledged Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came into your life, brought your dead spirit to life, and you became um, a, a son or daughter of God, a follower of Christ. But He can also be upon us, overflowing our lives with His love, wisdom, and power. And that's what was experienced by these early followers on the day of Pentecost. And then you're going to see with me uh, this morning... Uh, it, was a, it was an ongoing experience that believers had throughout the, um, the history, period of history that Acts records for us. Um, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Let me kind of define that for you. First, to be immersed in, overwhelmed by, or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So this the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that we talked so much about last week that indwells me when I become a Savior, or when, when Jesus becomes my Savior, uh, I, when I am filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit, these, those are synonymous terms. It's as though, I, it's as though this, uh, this per, the, the Spirit of God that dwells in me is, is on top of me, overwhelming me. Like Jesus used the, the imagery of being baptized, going under the water being immersed in, overwhelmed by, or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want him just parked in some kind of orderly, little, nice, neat, protected corner of my life. I want the Spirit of God to be overflowing me, 
That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It also means to be empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of fulfilling the assignment of living as witnesses for Christ in the world. Remember, Jesus said, um, you will be witnesses for me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts 1.8. It also, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is an experience subsequent to salvation. You're going to see with me that it follows salvation and unleashes the language of the heart. That's how I describe what I talked to you about before, speaking in tongues. Remember the disciples. They, um, through their, their time of following Jesus, it was not possible for them to have New Testament saving faith because it wasn't until, uh, or at least until, the point that Jesus revealed himself to them alive because it wasn't until then that they could know the resurrected Savior. So Jesus appears to them after he is risen from the dead in the upper room and it's a total shock and surprise to them. He appears to them and he does something very uh, 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 unexpected, something else unexpected. He breathes on them and he says... Receive the Holy Spirit. That's describing conversion. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, uh, appears in the room with them, and now their their knowledge of the Savior is is complete because they they recognize that He has risen from the dead. That moment, they have saving faith. They are they become what we would what we would describe as saved. They become Christians. And then the Lord says, he breathes on them, he should receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens to everyone who comes to that same point of confidence in Jesus as their Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit. But then, um, sometime later, within uh, 50 days, on the day of Pentecost, something a, a different relationship begins to develop with the Holy Spirit who they have received. And they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it says they all spoke in tongues. Now the next time that we see this, uh, the, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the fullness of the Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Acts happens with the Samaritans and a guy named Philip who is just a, an average Joe Blow part of the congregation there in Jerusalem. Um, but taking his ministry seriously, he heads off to Samaria, which was a place despised by Jews, but they are people who need the gospel, right? So Philip goes there, preaches the gospel. Those people respond in faith, and they, are, they become believers. Then Peter and John uh, come down from, from Jerusalem, and they, they uh, minister to these new believers. They minister to them the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They lay hands on them, pray for them, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, it does not describe them speaking in tongues. But here's what it does describe. It, does, it describes a guy named Simon, who was a, 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 like a magician, a sorcerer. And he watches the scene. He's watching Peter and John praying for these people. And there is something happening, something visible, tangible happening because he says to Peter and John, I'd like to buy this trick. 
I'd like to pay you to learn how to do this to people and so I can add it to my repertoire. So something visible is happening. It wasn't just some sort of silent, quiet experience going on. Something was happening. So we don't know for certain that it was um, speaking in tongues, but it is likely so. Then the next time we, we see this happen is with the Apostle Paul. Paul is a vehement op- opponent of the gospel. He's on his way to Damascus to imprison Christians. And on the road, he, has an, he is the victim of an appearance of Jesus Christ so profound and powerful. and knocks him off his horse and blinds him. And as a, as a result of that encounter with Jesus, Paul says, Lord. Now the Bible says no one can come to that to that point of saying, Lord, except the Holy Spirit draws him. Paul says, Lord, what would you have me do? Paul is converted in that point, at that point. Goes into town in Damascus. He's still blind, blinded by the experience. And the Lord uh, speaks to another guy named Ananias. Ananias is minding his own business. He doesn't know anything about this has gone on. He's just a believer in town, just praying. And God says to him, Ananias, you've heard about this guy named Paul. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's nasty. He's imprisoning all of us Christians, you know. I, oh, yeah. And the Lord says, well, you know what? He's in town. And I want you to go see him. You've got to be kidding. Wait, What? Uh, he's, he's, he's in town. I'm going to tell you where. I want you to go see him. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for him that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And after some, we don't know how long, some sort of struggle there, Ananias decides he's going to obey the Lord. He goes and does it. And Paul is baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't tell us there either that Paul spoke in tongues. However, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, Paul himself writes and says, I speak in tongues more than you all. The next time we encounter this um, scenario is with uh, Cornelius' household. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, very prominent man. He was, a, he was an officer over 100 Roman soldiers. He was not a Christian, but he somehow or another began to have a faith in the Hebrew God. Jehovah. And so the Lord arranged this whole miraculous set of circumstances that ended up bringing Peter to Cornelius' house, which was incredibly uh, unexpected that a Jew would go into a Roman's house was uh, uh, beyond belief. But Peter went into Cornelius' house, preached the gospel to them. Cornelius and his family and his, uh, his whole household received the gospel, were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke in tongues. Remember the, I told you about the, you know, the outflow of all this. We've already talked about this experience of being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, moving beyond Jerusalem to Samaria and to um, um, Caesarea, where, where uh, uh, Cornelius lived, even to Dama- uh, Damascus in Syria, and now to Ephesus. The Ephesians have received the Lord. They have become uh, followers of Christ. Paul shows up and, and uh, he says, you know, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they say, well, we don't know anything about that. And he says, well, you, let me explain this to you. And he prays for them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it says specifically they spoke in tongues. So you can see with me that these two things are closely tied together. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, an, is not just 
a one-time experience. It is an initiating event. There is a point in time where we as followers of Christ can experience this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But it is also an ongoing lifestyle. Um, I want to ask you now, if you'll indulge me me for just a moment more, I'm going to share with you a little bit of my testimony and then we're going to close up shop and go home for the day. I was a person who uh, was basically raised in the church. I mean, not basically, I was. I was on what they used to call the cradle roll. You know, outside the infant nursery, they would have, you know, a list of all the babies. My name was on there. And so I've been with this outfit for a long, long time. But uh, I grew up in a church uh, tradition that was uh, wonderful in, in so many ways, taught me the scriptures and and uh, gave me such a powerful, uh, a strong foundation for my faith that when I did come early in my life to a point of, of really believing on, on Jesus as my Savior, there was substance to it. I had strong foundation to stand on. But that same tradition um, uh, discounted the, uh, what we've just been describing, um, the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and power on an individual's life. They uh, taught that it was all just one package. You receive Jesus, you get the whole thing. There's no more, nothing to consider in terms of uh, the baptism and the Holy Spirit. They discounted miracles such as healings and and things like that, prophecy, all of the kind of spectacular things that we're going to read about in the book of Acts that took place among the early believers. They had eliminated all of that out of their theology because it was a little too messy, too hard to control, uh, too hard to, uh, you know, police. And so it was just decided that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And that's what I was taught. Until I encountered some, some people who were followers of Christ that were also part of the same denomination I grew up in, and yet they had something going There was something happening in their life, in their relationship with Jesus, of a vitality and intensity that I did not experience. And I was drawn to it because my heart was hungry for more of God. I wanted to serve him and to serve him well. And I wanted, I didn't know what I wanted, I just wanted something. I wanted that missing thing. I wanted to be able to serve God powerfully, like I read about here in the Bible. I, I, I said last week, my, you know, there were times when I look at my Christian experience and it, it, it doesn't, doesn't come close to what we read about in the book of Acts and among the early believers. There's something about the raw and primitive nature of their relationship with God that I longed for. And I sensed it in these people and I just started hanging around with them as much as I could and I found that these were people who had... Uh, come to understand that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for us today. It was for us today. And so to make my long story short, uh, I'll probably tell you more over the weeks to come, I um, had that experience of being filled with the Spirit and found that missing ingredient. My life has never been the same since. Because we weren't designed to live the Christian life by our own wits. 
That's why Jesus said to his disciples, look, I got to go so the Holy Spirit can come. Don't you move from this place until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Is it for all believers? You betcha. In fact, at the end of, verse, of chapter 2 that we were just reading from of the book of Acts, Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This is not just an experience limited to those few people on that day of Pentecost. How do I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How do you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Ask. Some people have tried to make this seem as though it's some sort of, something you have to sort of work for. Uh, maybe some of you have been exposed to, to people who, who uh, relegate the baptism of the Holy Spirit to only a select few, those who really work for it. People who will wait, wait it out and cry out to God. And, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'm saying when we um, add this distraction of trying to say that there's, you know, this is uh, holding this, this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit out like a carrot that you have to try to chase down. We're doing a disservice to what Jesus said. It's something God wants for each of his followers. So to make it something you have to sort of, I don't know, Beat yourself up for, work for, wait for. I'm not sure that's really in God's heart because look at this. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. He said, if you then, he's talking to you know, people like you and me, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's available to all of us simply by asking now, I'm not really a car guy, um, but I, I, I remember somewhere reading about a, 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 a model of Ferrari, the Testarossa. Anybody know what that is? Heard about that? All right. Now, I've heard that it's a very expensive uh, piece of machinery, high, a very high-performance vehicle. Is that correct? Those of you who raised your hand, is that right? Now... So I, I, I think of it this way sometimes. I think of Christians who have not yet received the fullness of the Holy Spirit as having a Ferrari Testarossa and no gas. And just pushing this thing, this lovely, powerful piece of machinery all over town and up the hill, you know, just trying to... And the Lord, the Lord simply wants to say, hey... Let me give you the gas for this thing. Let me show you what this baby can do. 